in a series called Put Away the Toys, and uh, I believe that, um, man, God is, is, is doing a, an incredible work in us in this series. It, it's almost like he, I feel him building, um, building blocks in our lives. The worship sets every single week have fit so well uh, with the messages that I've been sharing. And uh, someone asked me last week after church, did you tell them what you were preaching? And I said, no. They said, uh, you know, the worship set just seemed to fit so well that with the, the order of the day. And I said, you know, it's exciting when you're the pastor and you know what the Lord's laid on your heart to share and the worship leader says, here's my song set. And they just fit together like this. Uh, that just says, thank you, Lord, for putting this together. And I, I just feel like he's got a word that he's sharing with us. And this m- series is going, right with our books that we're studying, the All In series, and then the Good or God series that we're gonna be studying next. And uh, here's the question. God is saying a lot of things to us, and he's, he's building these things in our lives. And my question is, how are we stewarding that? What am I doing with what he's telling me? What changes am I making? Am I journaling what he's saying? Am I valuing what he's saying? Because it's not enough for me to read this book. It's not enough for me to sit here on Sunday morning, say amen, come. What am I doing with what he's saying? Okay, because I believe he's calling us forth. And it's up to us to either lay in that tomb and wait for something else to happen. Wait for an earthquake that's gonna move us or we're gonna just start stepping out. See, we, I'm gonna encourage you, this week we've got prayer service on Tuesday night. I wanna encourage you to be a part of that. Some of you are waiting for the perfect opportunity to, to come to one. You know, well, as soon as my schedule gets clear, it ain't happening. As soon as none of the kids are sick, it ain't happening. I mean, you're waiting for the right moment and it's never coming. It's just time to step out of the boat. Anybody here? It's time. We, it's time to stop waiting for the convenient moment or waiting to feel like it. It's just time to start hearing what he said to do and doing it. That's, so there we are. The, this study is from the book Perseverance by Eugene Peterson. Long obedience in the same direction. How many of you know we're in a long game? We're in a long game. If you weren't able to make it to the Gathering the Generals conference this weekend, all of those messages that were recorded, they'll be on James River Church. I believe it's jamesriverchurch.org, maybe jamesriverchurch.com. They'll be on their website over the weekend. I'd encourage you to listen to that. Um, Matt Lockley, is that his name? Or did I butcher his last name? The, the founder of Bound for Life was the speaker and uh, man, just shared some powerful truths with us over this weekend and so those will be on there for you to listen to. But today we're in part six of this series and we're using the Psalms of Ascent, the songs that the Hebrews would sing as they ascended to Jerusalem and uh, we're gonna look at Psalm 124 today. Psalm 124, uh, from the message version, this is how it reads again. If God hadn't been for us, All together now, Israel, sing out. If God hadn't been for us when everyone went against us, we would have been swallowed alive by their violent anger, swept away by the flood of rage, drowned in the torrent. We would have lost our lives in the wild raging water. Oh, blessed be God. 
He didn't go off and leave us. He didn't abandon us defenseless, helpless as a rabbit in a pack of snarling dogs. We've flown free from their fangs, free of their traps, free as a bird. We've flown free. Their grip is broken. We're as free as a bird in flight. God's strong name is our help. The same God who made heaven and earth. See, Psalm 124 is a psalm of hazard. Of all of the psalms of ascent, this is the one that talks about the danger of following God, the danger of discipleship. And right from the beginning of this psalm, it reminds us where our help comes from. This psalm reminds us that God is for us two times. At the beginning of this psalm, it reminds us that God is for us. And the last line of the psalm is God's strong name is our help. The God who made heaven and earth, he is for us and he is our help. Now, as soon as we make a statement like that, we get challenged. If God is for us, why did this happen? If God is for us, why am I facing this? And so we get these real life examples from people and they put us on the spot and it's almost like they're, they're looking to us to defend God. Can I tell you something? If I accept the challenge to defend God, I misunderstand what I've been called to. He does not need me to defend him. I've not been called to defend him. God doesn't need a press secretary to stand before the masses and say, I know that it it seems like this is what God said, but this is what he meant. My calling is not defender. I'm called to be a witness of who he is and what he's done. I've called to give a testimony. And Psalm 124 is just that. It's a testimony. It's a witness of what God does. Psalm 124 doesn't argue that God helps. It doesn't explain God's help. But it's just a testimony in the form of a song. In some translations, it even uses the vivid word about a dragon swallowing people alive by their violent anger. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a dragon. Anyone? I mean, we know they exist, right? Even children know that dragons exist. No, dragons are just figments of our imagination. They represent everything that is evil. And this psalm uses that kind of image. I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Lord of the Rings. I don't know why all the Lord of the Rings analogies, but imagine the peasant who stands before the dragon with its fire-breathing mouth, its thick skin, its enormous tail that can just bring destruction. And in that moment of impending doom, We're about to be swallowed alive. See, the psalm gives us two examples. And one is like that example. One is the example that I'm meeting this dragon head on and I'm about to be crushed. The other one that it gives us is a flood. Now, if you know anything about the Middle East, it's very dry, it's very deserty. And so as a storm rolls in and puts down a lot of water, 
the ground is too hard to absorb it. And so you should Google or look up videos of these flash floods in the Middle East and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's a rushing river coming at you. And you look to the right and you look to the left and there's no escape. You mean you had no warning this was coming? There's no signal sent out from the National Weather Service that says get to high ground and you're in a valley and you look, there's no way I'm getting to the side. I'm done. I am about to be swept away by the torrent, by these massive floodwaters. That's the picture of Psalm 124. So the psalmist isn't a person that is talking about the good life. He's not a person that's free from difficulty. This isn't a psalm that, uh, you know, is about how God protects us from all danger. This is a person who's gone through the worst. They face the dragon's mouth. They face the flood's torrent, but yet they find themselves intact. How's that possible? Well, they weren't abandoned. Instead of being abandoned by God, they were helped by God. This psalm is best understood by those who have lived it, those who have faced a sudden danger, those who faced sudden loss, those who faced sudden pain that they weren't expecting, those who have been pinned down and overwhelmed by a circumstance and realize there's no hope. Ah, the testimony of this psalm becomes credible. Because the person was up against overwhelming odds, but they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And also they didn't love their lives. Revelation chapter 12, not just the blood of the lamb, not just the word of our testimony, but we can't love our lives either. For Christians, following after the Lord is hazardous work. There's not an easy task. Every single day of our lives, we are asked to put faith on the line. See, we live in a society where everything can be weighed or explained or quantified or psychologically analyzed or scientifically scrutinized. And we believe in a God that we have never seen. Not only that, but we insist on making him the center of our lives. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a risk. A God whom I've never seen, a God whom I've, no ear has ever heard, one that no one can probe scientifically, all of a sudden, I have to put my faith in him. Not only that, but I'm asked to put my hope in him. I mean, I don't know one thing about my future. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what the next hour holds for me. We've all heard the story this week of the young 19-year-old from Dakota Wesleyan who just passed away suddenly. See, we've been called to put hope on the line, but we don't know what the future holds for our loved ones. We don't know what the future holds for this nation. We don't know what the future holds for this world. Well, we know the ultimate end, but we don't know what tomorrow holds. And yet every day we're called on to put hope in the fact that God will accomplish his purpose, even if 
My back's against the wall. Even if I look up and I'm about to be overwhelmed by a sudden torrent of water, I put hope on the line. Every single day, we're asked to put love on the line. I'll promise you there is nothing that I am less good at than love. Maybe you can relate. I mean, competition, I'm good at that. Ambition, desire, yep. Love, not so much. I am way better at responding to my instinct than I am trying to figure out how to love another person. And yet every day we're called to put love on the line. And every day I have to decide to set aside what I do best and attempt to do what I don't do very well. Every day I have to choose to open myself up to the failure and the frustration of loving other people. And it's a risk. But I have to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. All of that puts us at risk. We don't just live for ourselves, but we put faith and we put hope and we put love on the line. And I don't know about you, but I've never done any of those things to my own satisfaction or anyone else's satisfaction. And so I live on the edge of defeat every day of my life. But thank God I'm never abandoned. I mean, I may get knocked down, but I am not destroyed. And so I just get back up and I keep moving forward. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is my refuge and my strength. He is my ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present. That means there's never a moment he is not present. And so I may turn this way and see a flood And that flood may even knock me down, but I'm assured that he is present. And those waters may come up, but they won't drown me. The fire may come, but I won't get burned and destroyed. That's what the psalm teaches us. But the psalm isn't about hazard. It's about help. (laughs) The hazardous work of discipleship is not the subject of the psalm. It's the setting for the psalm. The subject of the song is help. Blessed be God. He did not abandon us defenseless, helpless as a rabbit in a pack of snarling dogs. How many of you want to be a rabbit in a pack of snarling dogs? That's a great picture. But you're not abandoned in that moment. We've flown free from their fangs, free from their traps. We are as free as a bird in flight. God's name is our help. The same God who made heaven and earth. See, hazards are no hazards. We live in the reality that God is for us. God's name is our help. The problem is the first time we get in this danger, or maybe... Every time we get in this danger, we are so overwhelmed by the hazard of the moment. It becomes all that we see. I mean, it's the impending doom. There's there's a flood about to swallow my life, and that's all I can see. That's why the Psalms say, lift up your eyes. Look, look up. We talked about that in Psalm 121. 
the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's not asleep. He hasn't forgotten. He can't forget you. You are written. You're engraved on his hand. He is your ever-present help. The question is, is he aware that that flood is coming? And then in just a moment, when there was no way out, all of a sudden, there we are, free. Free. How'd that happen? Free from the fangs of the snarling dogs. This song is a song of, temp- of testimony. And this is how God wants us to sing. Too many of us are giving praise to the flood, the torrent. That's all we can talk about. I mean, and who can blame us? If you were in the valley and you saw the flood coming, it's like all-consuming. It's all-encompassing. But the person of faith says, no, God is my ever-present help. And so even if that flood knocks me off my feet, it'll knock me off my feet praising my deliverer. Because he's my help. And he sets us free. God has not called us to be moralists and just walk around clucking our tongues at the world going to hell. He's called us to be a people who praise the God who is on our side. We are witnesses of the God who is our help. Does the world know that? Does the world know that God is our help? Have we done a good job testifying that he's my deliverer? He's my savior. IRS, I don't care. God is my help. Senator, congressman, I don't care. God is my help. Oh, we learned this weekend, you can be involved in helping congressmen and senators make wise decisions. But we were also reminded by a man who has given his life to see abortion end in this country that God is our help. And you can sign all the petitions you want. God is our help. And this from a guy who actually starts all those petitions. He is our help. The psalm reminds us that things are not always as they seem. And the, anyone who's been through a difficult trouble like this can resonate with this psalm. Psalm 124 is the example of the person that digs deep into the trouble and finds out there's a God there who is on our side. It knows that faith gets developed not in the easy times of my life, but in the most difficult times. One of the false assumptions people make about Christians is we're naive or we've been protected. That's not the case. We know pain. We understand. We just know that God is greater than our pain. God is greater than any problem that I face. Anyone can look up to the heavens and the stars and get a breathtaking sense and wonder and awe of who God is and praise the maker of heaven and earth. But this psalm looks in the opposite direction. This psalm looks into the pain of history. This psalm looks into the pain of personal conflict and emotional trauma. And there it sees God who is our help and praises him. I don't want us to get the wrong idea 
because God is not a pharmacist that pops in and out of our lives dispensing help. God has come to be our ever-present help. To be our helper. See, the New Testament is very clear. Jesus himself said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. Take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus didn't say, hey, follow me and you won't get sick. Follow me and uh, your loved ones won't die, tragically. Follow me and you'll have all the money you want. Follow me and your car won't break down. Follow me and your, your, your water heater won't ever quit on Saturday night when you've had a busy weekend. Praise God, when we went home last night, for those of you that knew our water heater was broken, it was on. So I took a hot shower last night, thank you Jesus, because I was very sweaty, and this morning. So anyway, that's just a sidebar. In this world, you'll have trouble. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians. We've already looked at it, but the rest of that passage says our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Chris Keeter today, the mother of that young boy that passed away, go tell her, hey, your troubles are very small and they won't last long. Because she's facing a torrent. But her faith is in him. Faith is in him. So she'll get through. She'll grieve. Absolutely. That flood might even knock her down a little bit. But pray that she's not crushed. I don't know her husband's name, but pray for him too. Pray for that family. Because... They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them. And they will last forever. That will last forever. So, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Some of us, that's all we can talk about. And we wonder why our mind, why, why can't I get my mind off of that? That's all you talk about. Talk about your help. That doesn't take away the pain instantly. <laughs> but it starts you on the path. We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone and the things we cannot see will last forever. See, God, who is our help, came to us to help us. I already told you this, but let's see it again. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also made the universe. See, the son was there at creation. And through the son, God created the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. God didn't just stay up there as our help and drop pills down to us like a pharmacist. He came down through Jesus to show us he's our help. 
And after that, he sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Praise Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Look what Jesus says in John 16. Remember the verse we already read? I told you this so you'd have peace in me. Remember that? I told you this so you have peace in me. As Paul Harvey would say, here's the rest of the story. These are the verses that precede this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Oh, but Jesus, we just want you to be our helper. But that's not my job. My job was to come and do the Father's will and accomplish it so that the helper could come to fulfill it. But if I go, I will send him to you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. But because of a misunderstanding, so much of our theology of the Holy Spirit has become based on experience. Some people have a good experience with the Holy Spirit, and so they make their theology weird. And they do weird things. Not supernatural things, not just powerful things, just weird. They bark like a dog. Okay. Then they make that a theology. That when the Holy Spirit really comes on you, you'll tremble. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll fall over. If you haven't ever fallen over, then the Holy Spirit isn't on you. Now, can, can God knock somebody over? Absolutely. Jesus in John chapter 20 just said, I am he, and people fell over. But we don't need to make that our theology of how the Holy Spirit operates. And so your good experience with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you make a theology of it. Some, because of a bad experience or other people's bad theology, have created the theology that this stuff no longer happens today, even though the scripture doesn't point to that or show us that. And so the one who has come to be our helper, there's so much confusion and misunderstanding that surrounds him. And so many people miss the help they need because of these misunderstandings. Could I challenge you to get in the word and study for yourself what Jesus emphasized, what the early church emphasized? In Acts chapter 19, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived in Ephesus and found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when... Some translations translate that word after you believed. They answered, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So for those Christians today that want to just make the cross the central theology, and let's not talk about the Holy Spirit because that can get weird. Why did Paul do it? Why was it important that they talked about the Holy Spirit? Why did Jesus say, when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to baptize you in fire. Jesus, you know how weird that could get? Uh, yeah, because he sees the beginning from the end. 
So he saw the weirdness even before, and he sent the Holy Spirit anyway. I'm not afraid of the weirdness. We'll correct weirdness, but I'm not afraid of it. I'm more afraid of missing him. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be ever filled with and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, he says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, that, goes, that makes sense because he's the helper. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Now, that's a little weird. But Paul said it, and it's in the book. And it's funny that we make a theology that this isn't for today, and Paul makes a statement like that. So be careful before you judge it as weird. Know what the book says. The Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us as believers in harmony with God's own will. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus talked about, that John talked about, that the apostles talked about, comes with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is the gift of tongues. But tongues is weird. We don't understand tongues. So I don't want to embrace it because I don't understand it or because it's weird. But yet the book clearly defines it for us. It helps us to understand it. If you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit. Now, apply that with Romans chapter 8. You won't know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit will pray through you. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 14, you'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit and it'll be mysterious. He says a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. In the book of Jude, Jude says, but you friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. And people today will say, well, we don't know exactly what that means. Connect the dots, if you will. We do know what that means. But because of a bad experience, we don't want it to mean that. Because of a fear, we don't want it to mean that. And so the helper who has come to help us and is dying to help us, literally, he died to help us. And he yearns so jealously for us, is being kept at bay by our fears and our misunderstandings. We get accused in Pentecostal circles of emphasizing the Holy Spirit. Why do we emphasize the Holy Spirit? Because John did? Because Jesus did? Because the Holy Spirit is our helper? Because the early church did? Can I tell you, as a Pentecostal believer, I emphasize the work of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They go together because the Holy Spirit fulfills that work in me. And it's so important. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not an experience. It's not a moment. It's not an it. Have you got it, brother? I mean, I grew up in Pentecostal circles. We said all kinds of stupid stuff. 
We prayed for people to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I saw it. I saw the shaking, and I saw the see my tie, untie my tie. I saw all of it. And for a long time, I didn't want a part of it for that very reason. Until I got a taste of the genuine. And I realized all of that was just a lie to keep me from getting it. I don't blame those people. Everybody can make a mistake. I don't watch TBN and condemn all of those crazies to hell. That's not my job. No, not everyone on TBN is crazy. That's not what I meant. But there are some crazies out there. My job is to just go after the genuine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is about being filled with a person. He's not a cloud. He's not a dust. So study the word and know him. So the psalm, the help or the helper. Here's what we're going to do. The worship team is going to come back. They're going to lead us. And there are two responses to this psalm. One is to cry out for help. Some of you are here today and you are facing a dragon. You are facing impending doom and there is no way out and there are overwhelming odds and it's all you can think about. Some of you are facing a flood. There has been a sudden disaster or some of you are just living in the fear of a sudden disaster. And if you're in that situation, you need to cry out for help. So if you're here today and that's you, you say, you know what, I, I need help. I'm facing something that's overwhelming. I'm at the end of my rope. I, I just, I need help. Would you slip up your hand and say, that's me. I'm, I need to cry out for help today. That's me. Anyone else? Just say, hey, that's me. I'm in, I'm in a situation that's bigger than me and it's all I can think about. Help me. Anyone else? You're declaring, hey God, I need your help. You're my help. It's like this aha moment. If you're not in a hazard, one is coming. And in the words of Jude, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Be filled with, keep living in, pray in, walk in the Holy Spirit. Some of you today need to cry out for the helper. You have let misunderstanding, you've let fear, you've let doubt, you've let unbelief keep you from experiencing the helper. I promise you, no one will rock you, prompt you what to say. But here's the thing about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You receive it the same way you receive salvation. Salvation comes by faith. I mean, there's no, you don't, I mean, did you, did you get it mailed a certificate of salvation from heaven? Anybody? No. You just put your faith and confidence in what the word said and you believe it happened. And so you live your life now like it happened. I mean, some of you maybe felt different, but there's no feeling that has to come. And yet we treat the baptism in the Holy Spirit like it's, uh, it's a different thing. I mean, it is separate, but you receive it by faith. 
You have to believe, one, that God wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Like he said, this promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and the next generation and everyone who's far off, as many as the Lord should call. Men, women, young, old, it's for all. You got to believe that. And you got to believe when you ask him, he wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. See, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells the story about prayer. And he says, if you want something from the Lord, you keep knocking and you keep asking and you keep seeking. And if you keep asking and you keep knocking and you keep seeking, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He does not want to make this hard. Trust me, as someone who made this so hard for so many years, I did. I waited for the Holy Spirit. I mean, I remember times I was at the altar and just tears coming down my cheeks and I was visibly shaking and I just wouldn't say anything. I mean, I had words in my head that I thought I should speak out and I'm just like, no, that's just because I grew up Pentecostal and I'm not going to say those things. No, that's... I... And so I struggled and I wrestled and I'm... Until one day a preacher came along and said... No fanfare. He called us all to the front. said, just believe that God wants to fill you. Lift your hands and ask him to fill you and then speak. And so for the first time in my life, I said, okay, God, you know my heart and I don't want to displease you. And so this is, this is what's in my heart. And as you fill me, I'm just going to say it. And I, I did. And I started using my prayer language and I doubted it. Oh, that's not really God. And, and I questioned it. And I'm like, God, why can't I be like one of those people that I've read about where they spoke in tongues and someone else in the room recognized it. And if only I could be one of those people, then I would know for sure. And there was one day from this pulpit, it used to be a pulpit, and I was leading the, the, the transition and I was... Uh, I was praying and all of a sudden I went to pray in tongues, but I moved the mic down and Pastor Brittany was right here in the front row. And that week at staff meeting, she's like, oh, I got to tell you something. She's like, when you were praying in tongues, here's what you were saying. Like some of it was in Spanish. It was weird. Like some of it I understood and some of it I didn't, but the, the parts in Spanish, this is what you were saying. And you know what? The first thing that came to my mind was, yeah, right. That's literally what I thought. Yeah, right. The very thing I said, God, if, you, if I did this, it would be confirmation. Why would she make it up? I didn't tell her what I was asking for. See, some of you are waiting for that moment of confirmation. And when it comes, you'll be just like me. Yeah, right. It's faith. You take out that step of faith and you do what he's prompting you to do. Some of you want to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. He's already prompting you. You're just not stepping out. Use that prayer language every single day. I don't care if you got it. Do you walk with him? Do you build yourself up in your faith by praying in the Holy Spirit every day? It makes a difference. Let's stand together. As we close this service, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for those of you that are in that situation of help and you need help. But can I tell you, you need more than help, you need the helper. <laughs> you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna open the altars. If you wanna be prayed for, 
When you come to the altar, would you stay standing? If you wanna just pray, you kneel. And that's how we'll differentiate. If you want someone to pray with you, you stay standing, whether it's for help or for the helper. You can come and you can pray alone or we'd be glad to pray with you. And so Father, I thank you that while we were your enemies, you stepped out of heaven and you came to this earth. You became our help. You already were our help, but you stepped in. And Jesus, you opened the door for the helper to come and to be the ever-present help living inside of us. Lord, I pray for today, for those that raise their hand, that find themselves in a situation of, that's just literally overwhelming them. It's taking every waking moment, every thought. They found themselves basically with back against the wall, facing the torrent, facing the dragon's mouth. And so God, today I pray that you would be their help that you would bring freedom, that you would bring healing, that you would bring restoration, that you would bring provision, that you would bring peace. Father, I pray today that you would fill us with the helper. For those that have never experienced that baptism, those who have never had that experience, that have never received that language, God, that will build their inner man, that will communicate with you when they don't know how to communicate with you. Father, I pray for the faith today to receive the promise that you've given to us. Baptize us today with your Holy Spirit. that in this world we might have your peace, even though it's filled with trials and sorrow. Holy Spirit, help us. Today I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, these altars are open. We invite you to come. We invite you to find a place of prayer. When you need to be dismissed, Feel free to do that quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to continue to pray.